needed today. Thank you. God bless you. So glad to be back. I heard that Pastor Rudy did an amazing job last week. Can we give it up for Rudy? We love you, my brother. I listened to both messages. He did a great job, made us so proud. I've come back with a little bit of allergies, and I'm peeling because I'm trying to look like my hente. So everybody just go, oh, poor pastor. Yeah, a little bit of allergies, a little bit of peeling. But Dallas is doing great. They send their love. And on top of all of that, I brought back some warm weather. How many are happy about that? When I came back, the warm weather came with me. Amen, amen, half kid in there. Open up your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 5. We are learning about the book of Revelation. We are demystifying this mysterious book, and we are focusing on what we can get out of it during this time. We're going to start in chapter 5 because if you are a second service kind of person, you remember the last time I was here, I couldn't go into chapter 5. If you're one of those that kind of bounce back and forth, that's cool. You've heard chapter 5. But if you are here and you want to hear it verse by verse, then please make sure you go back to the notes that are online even right now with the app, and you'll see me break it down verse by verse. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to summarize it as I then get into today's message on the seven seals. Somebody say, review is for you. Awesome. So this is good. If you've heard it before, that's awesome. If you were in the first service when I did it through uh, chapter 5, if not, you're going to love this. It's going to be good for both. Now, when we get to chapter 5, what do we see? We see Jesus as the Lamb of God. This is important to understand because Jesus is going to judge the earth. Is Jesus going to judge the earth out of anger in the sense that he doesn't love us or care about us? Or is he going to do it out of the sense of righteousness? It's going to be done out of righteousness, right? And that's why we have to see him as the lamb. And so chapter 5 begins with John seeing a scroll with seven seals and nobody's able to open these seals to get to the scroll. And so he's like asking the question, who's worthy to do this? Well, the angel is asking, and, and that's what John is wondering as well. But then one of the elders, because remember, we see in heaven the throne of God. This is what we've learned already. We see the throne of God. We see 24 elders around that throne, who I believe are the 20, are the 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament. We don't know which ones, but I'm sure Moses, Abraham, some of the prophets are there. And I believe the other 12 are the apostles. Don't know this as a fact, just a best guess, okay? And then we see the four, what we call the seraphim, the four creatures that have four faces and six wings, okay? And then we see angels, a multitude around that. We haven't yet really been introduced to people yet, so we're pretty much seeing God. We're seeing the elders. We're seeing the seraphim. We're seeing the angels, and John is looking around. Is everybody tracking with me? That's another good review. Now, he begins to cry because no one can open the scroll. Think about that. He's not crying because he didn't win the lottery. He's not crying because something bad has happened in his life. He is literally crying because no one can bring the judgment of God. Have you ever cried because you want to see God's judgment on this earth? Now, you might have if you're like, you know, hip on the Bible. You, you thought about it. But most of you, even if you didn't think about it, you've already cried for God's judgment. How many have cried when something bad has happened? How many cried when you saw 12 years a slave? How many cried when you saw Schindler's List? How many cried when you've seen the evil of this world? You know what those tears are for? They're not just for the pity you feel for the person. It's also you want to see the judgment. 
I mean, how many saw, I remember being in school, seeing the color purple. I'm like, I want to go find me a white dude. I want to just beat him up right now. You white dude. Okay. Don't do that, old whitey. You know what I'm saying? How many, come on, let's just be honest. How many ever saw Schindler's List and you wanted to go to the German Fest and go beat somebody up? Because you're just thinking to yourself, how could you? How could you do that to somebody? I mean, it just you just you get a holy indignation, but you're also crying. You're angry, but you're crying. Are you schizophrenic? No, you're feeling the two emotions of justice. Whenever you feel those emotions, you are feeling what John was feeling because he's like, man, who's going to open up this scroll of whoop butt onto the world? Come on, I'm in church. I'm going to say whoop butt, okay? Who's going to open up the scroll of whoop butt on these folks? And he's crying. He's upset. And then look at what the elder says. Do not weep. The lion, what is he? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's, open, he's able to open up the scroll and his seven seals. Aren't you happy Jesus gets to bring the judgment? So when everybody says, only God can judge me, that's right, and that should what? Scare the hell out of you, because this is what it looks like when God starts to judge you. But notice the lion. He was always a lion, but when he took on flesh, what did he become? A lamb. He became a lamb. He was always a lion. Look, look at the Old Testament as we talked about before. When the Bible says God shows up to Abraham to talk about what he's going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, when Jesus was there, in other words, the pre-incarnate Christ, he didn't come there as a lamb. He came there as a lion. You couldn't have stopped him from sending down hellfire on Sodom and Gomorrah. He was going to do what only God can do. But when we see him in the flesh, you know, born of the Virgin Mary, dying on the cross, we see him in weakness. We see him in pain. And what we're now to understand is that was for a purpose. It was for redemption because at the resurrection, as he was with his disciples for 40 days before he ascended to heaven, he had the glorified body, the lamb that was slain, had rose from the dead for our salvation. But not only this, guess what? He also rose up for the judgment of the earth. In other words, God could have judged us without the lamb. But now that he judges us through the lamb, this shows his heart and character. What does it show? That he wishes none to perish. That he wishes us all to know the mercy of the lamb, the forgiveness of the lamb. Because if we don't, we will then realize the wrath of the lamb. And so the Son of God, everyone just please get this because this is how the story is going to end. It's going to end today in this message. As a matter of fact, i got to refresh because I added a scripture here. Can you hit enter for me so I can refresh this? It is going to end as it begins today. The Lamb of God is righteous. The Lamb of God does not want to judge. Thank you, sir. The Lamb of God wants to save, but if you do not submit to the Lamb of God, you will suffer his wrath. How many want to, su how many want to suffer wrath? No, how many want to get the righteousness? Amen. And so then he begins to take the seal, uh, the scroll rather, out of the hand of the Father, and he begins to open these seals. But before he does, look at the praise that is given him. Because remember, in the previous verses, we heard the praise towards the Father, but now we see the praise towards the Son. Because we are believers in the one throne shared by the Father, Son, and Spirit. We are believers in one God, Yahweh, who is the Father, Son, and Spirit. Look, it says, you are worthy 
to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. Do you get it now? That's the revelation we're supposed to get from the Lamb. You are worthy now to do this because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, people, and nation. How many are happy for that? Amen. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Can I hear a bigger amen? Come on, I heard one person saying amen on this side. I want to hear everybody say amen. That's what Jesus does. And then notice this. The song keeps going, and now they go on to say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. And it keeps going, and it says, To him who sits on the throne be praise, honor, and glory, power forever and ever. And it says, The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. And I skipped over the most important part that I wanted to say. To him who sits on the throne and to the what? To the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for reminding me you were there. The, the praise goes to the Father and to the Son. How many know we don't have many creators? We have one creator. How many know we don't have many uh, saviors? We have one savior. How many know that we don't have many shepherds? We have one shepherd. And yet the Lamb gets the same praise as the Father does. Isn't that amazing? That is the message of chapter 5. Now we get into chapter 6 where we are today. So that was the review. Let's now read verse by verse. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. So let's go to the chart and see now where we are. We are those who believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. We have read about the seven churches. We have now seen that the Lamb can open the scroll, and here now are going to come the seven seals. The first four of these seals are going to be known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Then there's going to be an interval after the sixth seal, before the seventh seal is opened, the sealing of the 144,000, and then the trumpets will begin, and then there will be another interval where we learn about the Antichrist and the world government that he will rule over with the false prophet, and then we're going to end with the bowls of wrath and Jesus Christ coming at Armageddon, and there being a judgment and a thousand-year reign, and then after that, the white throne judgment, and then the new heavens and new earth while the unbelievers are sentenced to the lake of fire. Now, this is where... Right here, starting at this chapter, that you're going to see the differing timelines. We are pre-tribulation rapture, so that means we believe you're going to get raptured before the tribulation. There are those who believe it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation, which we believe this whole time period is seven years. So there are some who believe it happens at the uh, three-and-a-half-year mark, and then there are post-tribulation believers that believe it happens right at the end. Now, everybody track with me here. I don't think the mid-tribulation deserves much of our time, so I'm not going to get into it. It has far too many contradictions. But you are now going to see probably the greatest evidence for the post-tribulation viewpoint in the message that we're going to have today. Now, remember, if we argue this, you have to take me where? To Red Lobster, and you do most of the talking, right? Because this, to me, is not something I want to argue and debate over. My two favorite, watch this, my two favorite theologians slash scholars, one of the Old Testament, one of the New Testament, came together and wrote a book for the post-tribulation rapture. Everybody saw, uh-oh. See, that's where I felt like I was in trouble. Dr. Michael Brown and Dr. Craig Keener, my two favorite scholars, man, wrote a book against my position. And um, I still think they're wrong, though. But here, here's where the points will be made. From, from this chapter onward in chapter 6, you're going to see both positions dig in their heels and say, this is how I know why it's going to be when it's going to be. So I'm going to say to you, this is how I know it's going to be 
before these things. I'm going to show you my best evidence now. And I'll show you where they say it, and then I'll show you where I believe they're wrong, okay? Now, can you be a part of this church and be post-tribulation? Absolutely. We love you. We welcome you. We are so open to that. And I hope I could still be your pastor if I became post-tribulation. Some of you, I don't know. You might leave. You might like, Pastor, you changed. I'm leaving to go find John Hagee, okay? I'm upset with you. I'm upset. So in my whole time of studying, I've not changed much over the years, even though a lot of people around me have changed, and they have made it a huge issue, and it's so not huge to me, okay? But I, have, I, I am settled in this, and I don't think you, someone would have to either show me a passage that I've never seen before, which is probably not going to happen because I read the Bible almost every year, and I've read it multiple, multiple times front to back. Uh, so that's probably not going to happen. Or God is going to have to show me the meaning of a scripture like I've never seen before, which can't happen. God can open our eyes and hearts. How many are open to God doing that? And we never want to be beyond God doing that, like, you know, just closing our heart to something. But I believe that this is going to clearly show us, the, we're going to hear now the reason why we are pre-tribulation as the chart shows. If, if everybody's ready, can I hear an amen? Okay, so we're going to start with the seals, four horsemen of the apocalypse. Let's go. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice like thunder. Now remember, there's four living creatures. Each one of them is going to bounce back with the lamb for the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's just part of the writing style here. So each time a seal is opened for the first four, one of the living creatures is going to say something. They say, come for this one. Verse 2, I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. So right now, boom, war is going to come upon the earth. Verse number three, starting with the second uh, horseman. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came flying, uh, came out with a, was a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So the second one comes. Now there's not just war. Now there's fighting among people. And it's like you, you just can't go anywhere be, without some kind of violence happening. Then num, uh, verse number five, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, come. By the way, they all say come back and forth with, with uh, Jesus here. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard a sound like, uh, uh, I heard the voice, excuse me, I heard a sound. I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living creatures. So now there's a voice from among the living creatures, probably the Holy Spirit talking, saying two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. Somebody say, don't mess with the oil and the wine. See, Jesus loves oil and wine, so don't mess with that. Half kid there. But what this means is inflation comes. The prices that they're weighing out, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, is super expensive. But what we notice here, while it's inflation, there's a lot of wealth being stored up too, not being touched. Let me read the last seal, and then I'll tell you what I think's going on here. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind them. They were given a power, given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, plague, by the wild beasts of the earth. How many know if a fourth of the earth is dying here, this is not a good day? How many know if part of the way they die is from wild beasts, how many know that's scary? 
So let me just talk about that real quick because we pretty much can understand people dying of sword, famine, and plague, wild beasts here. What is that? One of two explanations that I come up with, theologians, we're just going to do our best guess here, either because there's so much going on, and a lot of this is happening in metropolitan areas because that's the, you know, the, the largest populations, people are moving out into the wilderness and they're not winning against uh, Simba. What, what, what was that? It was Simba the lion? Simba's the lion, and what's this, uh, the movie called? Lion King, thank you. So either Simba's winning a lot of the battles of people moving out into the wilderness, or, or like in Mad Max and the Thunderdome, there's little communities that are starting, and for fun, they're having you fight wild beasts, something like that, because that's happened before. So wild beasts killing people could be a part of the death. Now, let's put together the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We've got the first horseman. Uh, basically bringing war, conquering. We have the next one bringing death among all, uh, you know, people fighting and killing each other. The next one bringing death and hell. And then the last one there, uh, basically just unleashing this, this, this kind of, um, of death that comes through all of the different ways named plagues, famine, etc. Now, this is where people are going to start setting their timeline. This is where your choice can be, okay? This is where you make your choice. Do you believe the four horsemen of the apocalypse are cluing us into a cyclical description of the rest of the judgments? In other words, do you believe what they're describing here is also what's being described when we get to the trumpets and also what's being described when we get to the bowls? Or do you believe these are things moving in a linear one after another pattern? That's going to decide how you are going to view as a timeline what's going on. Now, there are some pre-tribulation guys like me who actually do take it as a cycle. I think they do it inconsistently. If you're going to take this as a cycle, you're pretty much going to have to be a post-tribulation. And I'll show you why in just a little bit. I don't think they're being consistent. I think for us as pre-tribulation folks, we need to take this as being linear. In other words, there's a time period where this happens, and then the next one, the next one, the next one, and then later on in time during the three and a half years here building up to the last three and a half years, the trumpets begin to sound, and then we see the Antichrist and his one world government, and then the last three and a half years are the bowls of wrath. That's what we would be if we would be consistent. I don't take it as cyclical because if you take what's happening here with the bowls to be, an, uh, you know, what happens with the bowls is described again. The same period, again, is with the trumpets and again with the bowls. They're almost stacked on each other. So when you're reading it, it's like, you know, you hear about the, the seals, and then you hear about the trumpets, you go back into this time. And then you read about the bulls, you go back into this time. So they're just all describing the same time. If you're going to do that, you're going to run into other problems. And this is going to be where I'm going to start now to show that I don't think this can be cyclical. And I think that, you know, uh, pre-tribulation folks who take it as cycl cyclical run into contradictions. The first thing that I believe that this shows me, this cannot be cyclical, this cannot be the post-tribulation way of understanding, is it is clearly the wrath of God. Some people try to say, well, maybe the trumpets and the bowls are the wrath of God, and this is not. But no matter way you look at it, if you are a post-tribulation person, you believe we as Christians go through the wrath of God. But Paul said, God has not appointed us unto what? Wrath, by four of you know it, 
God has, I'll go there if we have to, but take my word. Paul said it. He has not appointed us unto wrath. And Joby, give me the reference so we can go there because I just want to make sure that everybody believes me. But everybody notice this. At the end of the sixth seal, this is chapter 6, verse 17, it says, For the great day of the what has come? Of their wrath has come. Who can stand it? And who is the there, the plural there? The Father and the Son. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 or 19? Verse 9. 5, 9 of 1 Thessalonians shows that we have not been destined for wrath. Now notice this. If the Bible is going to be consistent, how can Christians be here when this is clearly the wrath of God? If we are cycling the bowls, uh, excuse me, the seals, the trumpet, and the bowls, it's all the wrath of God. It's plain and simple. You as a Christian go through the wrath of God. But doesn't the Bible say you do not go through the wrath of God? That's my first thing. Is anybody following with me today? That's my first one. Now, some people may say, well, we can take wrath a bunch of different ways. No, I just take it for what it is. There's a day where the wrath of God is going to come upon this earth. It's going to be a time period. During that time period, I do not believe Christians are going to be here. Now, the other thing, and I'll show it to you more, is that when the post-tribulation people talk to us, they say that God can keep us and protect us during this time, like how he protected the Israelites during the time of the plagues of Israel. But that is totally different. Notice during the time of the plagues of Israel over Egypt. Egypt is literally the place where it's happening, and they live outside of Egypt. They were not in Egypt, the capital city that was being judged. I, I believe they lived in Goshen. Check that out. It was Goshen. So they lived outside. So this is what the post-tribulation people try to say. They go, you know what? We're going to go through all of this, but since we're not appointed to wrath, it won't come upon us. In the first four horsemen of the apocalypse, do you see any way you can avoid what's happening here? You see, during the time of the judgment coming upon Egypt, you just go out to the suburbs. A fourth of the earth die, uh, uh, a fourth of the earth of the population dies here. Does everybody get what the magnitude of this? Now, they may jump ahead and show us the ceiling of the 144,000 and how they're taken care of, which I do believe is going to be probably one of their biggest points, greatest points to make a timeline. We're going to get into it, trust me. But notice the Bible says that's only for the 144,000. So that means if you are not one of the 144,000, you are suffering under the wrath of God. You're going to lose your drinking water. You're going to lose a place to live. You're going to suffer along with everybody else. Does everybody hear me on that? And we have to take that literal. If you're, I mean, if you're going to take it all symbolic, then we can just make this whatever you want. There is a group of people called the Preterists that say this all happened in 70 AD when um, the temple was destroyed. I mean, they take the entire thing allegorical, that this is Nero doing this and that. And when you hear about a fourth of the year dying, that's just a sign of calamity. But I actually believe these things are happening. How many believe these things are happening? As I told you from the beginning, I take it for what it is, right? If I'm going to read the Bible, he walked on water, I'm going to believe there's four horsemen of the apocalypse, judge people, okay? Now, remember, number one, God says he's not going to have us uh, suffer wrath. There's no way around it. You are suffering wrath. Number two, they try to say, well, God can protect us like he did the Israelites. That was because it was local. This thing is global. If they then say, well, we can be sealed. There's only 144,000 sealed. What happened to the rest of you? And then, here it is, and I'm going to get to it in just a moment to make the point clear as we read it. Then they'll say, we are the martyrs. Well, then, my friends, we don't have a great hope. We have a fear 
or a trepidation of facing all martyrdom. Now, I'm not saying God can't overcome our fears, but when you hear the preaching of the second coming of Jesus, which I believe is in two phases. There's no way around that. They'll pin me to it. How many times does he come back? I got to say two. Once for his church, once for the earth. That may be inconsistent with them, but I will rather say that than to say that Jesus' great hope for the church is basically annihilation and only 144,000 is left. I believe the great hope for the church is to be with Jesus, and then whoever is left, they will have to go through it, and it's their own fault because they rejected the first train out of here because we weren't appointed for wrath, and we're looking for Jesus, not the Antichrist. So even though my two favorite scholars, they wrote a book book saying, I'm not afraid of no Antichrist, that's good, but I'm not looking forward to an Antichrist either. I may not have to be afraid of him. They're going to help us get over the idea we're all going to be martyred. Okay, I get it. Like, that's cool. If like, we're all going to do it, I do want to do it. You know, I don't want to be afraid. It's like, how many know if you're wrong about the rapture, you're still going to stick around and serve Jesus? Like, right, like, let's just be honest. Like, if the rapture doesn't happen here, we're around somewhere the fourth or fifth seal, how many are still sticking with Jesus? Okay, so that's a good book if I'm wrong. But I don't see us all being led to slaughter like that to the point where the church is just demolished, where there's only a few of us left. I just don't see it. That's, to me, how I'm going to go from this point on. So I'm going to show it to you. Trust me, we're going to read it all. But I wanted to show you this because the first four seals to me is absolute devastation to the earth. It's pummeling the earth. And so we all use the same examples, but I believe the way we see it is right. I was just rereading the book when I was in the back there. Noah is an example to us. When God judged the earth with water, what did he do with Noah? Removed him from the water. And they tried to say, well, he was still on the earth, so that's how God's going to remove us. Technically, he wasn't. He was on a different plane from what was being judged. And then Sodom and Gomorrah is an example, even though it was localized, but it was so devastating to that area. God said, I will not judge that area until the righteous leave. And so I believe God is going to get us out. Come on, somebody say, get out. I believe God is going to get us out before he sends his judgment. Everybody's excited for that. I know I hear some people say, even at our post-trib, I hope pre-trib is right. You know, we'll clap for pre-trib, you know. Uh, But let's just be honest with ourselves. I don't see anything here talking about the church being protected as the Jews were protected during the time of Egypt's plague by being outside of the area. I see total devastation within these first four horsemen. Now, let's go to the fifth and sixth seal. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under, I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. This is now where they're going to say, we are. They're going to say, Joe, here you are. Everybody just got martyred. But notice here, it doesn't say anything about the tribulation. It just says that those who have been martyred are there. They have to now put in here, these are those of us who went through the tribulation, these beginning parts, and we've all been martyred. So my question then to, to them would be simple. What about those who got martyred before the tribulation? Do they not go under the throne? Are there different compartments of the throne? See, I don't think John has that in mind here. What John is saying here is, is that as he's seen heaven, remember, we've, we've got all these descriptions. We have not seen any people yet really in heaven. Are you guys tracking with me through the book of Revelation? The first people we see are who? The martyrs. And it's not just from the tribulation. It's from the beginning of the church. You're seeing Stephen there. You're seeing Paul there, if he's not one of the other 24 elders. You're seeing what those who have suffered have gone through for Jesus. We'll talk about the tribulation saints in just a moment. 
Okay, he says, these are those who have maintained their testimony for God. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. So they're crying out for the God's judgment. Remember, like I said, when you watch The Color Purple, 12 Years a Slave, you know, uh, Schindler's List, any of these movies, you're calling out for judgment, aren't you? And that's what they're doing. Not because they didn't love their enemy. It's because now it's time to judge. Because Jesus said, don't, don't be vengeful. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And now it's God's turn. Now notice this, verse 11. Then each one of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Now that's why I believe that you could still become a Christian in the time of tribulation, but you are no longer in the church age. Now, let me explain this to you, why it matters. And those who attack pre-tribulation beliefs always attack dispensationalism because we believe in different dispensations. Now, all Christians believe in an old covenant and a new covenant, right? How many know there's a difference from the old covenant to the new covenant? But when you get more technical and nerdy in the Bible, you begin to understand that within major covenants are also dispensations. In other words, what was it like when Adam was first in the garden? What was it like after Adam fell in the garden? What was it like when Noah got the commands of God? What was it like for Abraham? And then what was it like for Moses? So you can see in the Old Testament before Moses, there's at least three or four dispensations about how God is dealing with them, not contradicting. Now moving forward in the new covenant, I think there are at least two to three dispensations. The first one in the new covenant is the church age. And this is what Jesus said, as you see it on our wall here. He says, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, right? And he says, and I will be with you until the very end of the age. So there are ages. And the Bible talks about this, ages. He is the God of all ages, the Bible talks about. He's the God of all worlds in the King James. And so I believe in the church age, we have the authority of the Holy Spirit to cast out demons, raise the dead, heal the sick. Now this is what the post-tribulation person has to believe, the post-rapture tribulation, is that we lose the age of the church go into tribulation and can't cast out spirits anymore. How do I know that's true? Because one of the judgments we get to, spirits are loosed on the earth and magic or spiritual gifts are done by the Antichrist and the false prophet and we can't do anything about it. See, if we today saw something like that, you could stop it. When I used to work in New Orleans, I would go to Jackson Square and they had the tarot card readings there. I would witness to them all the time. Oftentimes, even just me witnessing to them, another one next to them would say, get that Christian to leave. The spirits aren't coming. <laughs> Telling you the truth. There was another time when I was witnessing to a man. He got upset, and I rebuked the evil spirit on him. And it was like, it was like a flash of light came right down through the first row because they kind of get in rows here. And all of them started looking because they knew something had changed in the spirit realm. And if you learn about the scriptures, the Bible say Elijah's time was a preface for this time. And Elijah always showed the power of God versus the false prophets. So now notice what the post-tribulation person, the post-rapture person says, is that we're going through this, and yet the age has changed, and we have no authority. I don't believe that. 
I believe that the age has changed because the church has left the building. That's why the Bible says in Thessalonians, the one who holds him back will only do so for a time, and then when they are removed out the way, then the Antichrist will be revealed. So I believe we as Christians, the light, hold back the locust-like demons from walking on the earth and the Antichrist from doing all of his magic and power. Because we're here. We can expose it. If a locust-like creature walked into this place, what are you going to do? Cast it out in Jesus' name. That's why I say to everybody who sees lost relatives in their sleep or if they think they're being visited by aliens, cast it out in the name of Jesus and you'll see what that thing really is. And I believe part of the deception as we're being prepared with Marvel Comics and all of these different, you know, alien shows, I believe part of the deception is that the Antichrist is going to claim these creatures are from a different dimension. They're here to help us, welcome them in, and they're just going to be enforcers to us, supposedly the Christian, the bad people, right? And I think that's what's going to happen because the Bible says he has to mark, we'll get into it in just a moment, he has to mark the 144,000 so they don't get afflicted. That's the only way they don't get afflicted. But I thought the name of Jesus cast out spirits. So you see the difference. That's a big, important difference here that we have to see. Now, going back to uh, this sixth seal, uh, fifth seal, rather, let's go back to it. We see the martyrs, and they're being told to wait because you can be a Christian here, but you cannot be a Christian in the church age here. The Holy Spirit will be here, but you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit to prophesy, cast out devils, speak with new tongues. Does everybody understand why I'm saying that? Because otherwise, the age has changed, and we as Christians have just been left without the Holy Spirit. And do we ever see that he takes back the gifts of the Holy Spirit from his church? No, because the church is now in heaven with the Holy Spirit in that way. Okay, now we get to the, the last seal before we get an interval. And I watched and I saw the sixth seal. I watched and he opened a sixth seal, rather. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the, fell sky, uh, the, the, stars in the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island fled from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes and the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the who? The wrath of the lamb. We know this is the wrath. This is the wrath. For the day of their wrath has come. Who can withstand it? Now, a couple things. Those who are going to take this as cyclical, in other words, all the seals all the trumpets and all the bowls are happening at the same time are going to point to that passage and say, that sounds like the Battle of Armageddon. There's some similarities there. And yes, it does in some ways. But the Battle of Armageddon is actually different than this. The Battle of Armageddon shows a united front against God as he's coming down. So this is why I believe this is a linear outpouring of God's wrath. I don't believe that we're just going to hear the same story now in two different ways, you know, now with trumpets, you know, coming up and then with bowls, and it's all talking about the same time. I actually believe that this shows us the mercy of our God. Let me explain to you. You see, these seals are probably happening really quick right after the rapture. And as the world is in turmoil, there's nothing but chaos, and God is allowing it. He even then shows us a little bit of his plan, which is going to be coming in the future, by pulling back 
the actual atmosphere. We may see the dimension of the heavens. Stars will be coming, meteors, however those are coming. And then we'll see people rebel against God. And that, to me, is the first time they harden their heart. And then they look towards a one-world government like the Antichrist. He then comes and lies and explains it from his point of view, what's really going on. And people then will have a choice to accept what was kind of obvious that was happening, judgments of God. But in their hard-heartedness, they'll rather hold on to that lie. And isn't that what the Bible says in Thessalonians as well? Because they rejected the truth, he gave them over to a strong delusion. And now he'll be right and just. He was always right and just, but he'll be showing himself right and just by amping it up. And that's when the trumpets come. And then he'll amp it up again with the bowls so that by the time he splits the heaven for good and leaves it open and comes down on the white horse, the whole world will have made its decision to reject God. And that's why it's a battle. It's an actual battle. Men, the, you know, mankind, humanity actually now want to fight against God because they're so teed off that their make-believe illusion is not true. They're so dedicated to the Antichrist that like the devil who was once in the presence of God, had full knowledge but still wanted to do it his own way, they will be at the height of all rebellion. They will now know for sure by the end of all this, like Pharaoh, it was the God of Israel that did it all, but they'll still come running, chasing, and to the Red Sea. They'll come right into Armageddon, to the valley. Once Pharaoh went into the Red Sea with the hardest heart, like the Bible says, he had like the hardest heart, because by the time of, of the judgment, he knew for a fact that Israel's God was God, but he still ran in there, right? Is everybody tracking? And we believe that humanity will get hardened and hardened until they run to the valley. Is that where God's going to be? Is that the one who's been pouring out these judgments? Is that, the, is that where he's going to be? I want to fight him. And that's why we see the battle of Armageddon. Okay? Now, the one who takes it in cycles just thinks it's getting repeated in different ways. And like I said, I think there's a lot of contradiction with that because by the time we get to the trumpets and the time we get to the bowls of wrath, there's governments, there's leadership. The Antichrist is going to the temple uh, you know, proclaiming himself to be God. There's a lot of things that are happening that are just not really possible here. I don't understand how we're losing a fourth of the earth and yet the world is still at peace because the Bible says they're at peace for, the, for basically three and a half years. That's why I believe this happened all at once, right at the beginning, the Antichrist brings in that false peace, makes a treaty, and then, you know, has that time with him. Otherwise, if this is all the seven years of living hell, there isn't a time of peace. There's not a world war, uh, excuse me, a, a government of one, a one world government that has brought peace to the earth. This is a world that's in turmoil. So I think it starts with the turmoil of the, of the seals. I think the one world government starts, and it continues up pretty much to the end, uh, end of that three and a half years. Then the trumpets start, and, and then it gets bad, and then he starts to fight with God, and then the bowls of wrath are released towards the end, and then he comes back. That's what I believe. How many of you are going to believe that? Half of you? Okay, the rest of you, we still love you. Just believe he's coming back. Amen? Now, what we're going to see here is that there's going to be two intervals between the timelines of what we're doing. And this is where some people make their arguments that, that things are cyclical, but I just think it's an interval. So six seals have been opened. 
Now is going to come a break. We're going to learn a little bit about this time period that's happening underneath. That's where, you know, John Hagee has like history moving on here. So we're going to learn a little bit about that time. And then the seventh seal will be open, and then we'll get into the six trumpets. But before the seventh trumpet is sounded, there's another interval, and we're told about what's going on. And then towards uh, after the seventh trumpet, we get all the symbology of what I was talking about, about the Antichrist, his one world government, and then the bowls of wrath, and then the battle of Armageddon. So let's go to our first interval now, which is the sealing of the 144,000. So we stop right there at the sixth seal. It just stops at chapter six. The sixth seal is open. There's all this uh, calamity going on. People are, are trying to get away from God. But remember, that's another difference. Here they're trying to get away from God, but in Armageddon they're facing God saying, bring it. They want to fight God. That's why I don't think it's cyclical either. Even though there's some similarity about them calling out uh, to God, talking to him, and the rocks and the mountains being shaken. But I believe this is the beginning of that tribulation period. Now look at the 144,000. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Click on that if you're a flat earther to come back to the Bible. In reality, you live on a globe, okay? Because sometimes people go to the Bible and go, there's four corners. See, they actually believe that too. But listen, that's not what the Bible is teaching, okay? You can have four corners on a map and still believe in a globe. How many know that? Okay? And then you can have four corners of a compass and still believe in a globe. How many believe that? And then how many know you can have four corners of a certain region and still believe in a globe? So there's at least three explanations that don't cause you to deny the reality of the globe you live on and to consider all of NASA a conspiracy and these different things, which is, hey, if that's the world you want to live in, you're free to live there, okay? And if you want to argue that, Red Lobster don't do. Red Lobster does not do. You taking me to Fogo and we going to Six Flags and I get a new pay. Sounds so silly when I talk about it like that. But no, seriously, if you want to talk about flat earth, there's going to be, we got to have some prep talk here, okay? Because the moment you tell me everything you believe has been proven wrong by this guy on the internet, I just don't know I'm going to be your best friend at that moment. Because trust me, I love you and I've watched those videos and, and I've, and I've tried to believe that, that those things are true, too. I'm like, man, it would be awesome if we were just live like this. This would be the earth right here, right? The whole world. And then there would be a little canopy. And I understood that people in the Old Testament thought that way, but that doesn't mean that made it true, okay? The people in the Old Testament also thought in superstitious things, okay? But if you read through the whole scripture, you will see a, a circle earth. He sits enthroned upon the circle, the Bible says, the circle of the earth. Uh, that's Isaiah. Okay, so here we got four angels now, four corners of the earth. They're holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming from the east having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to those four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. Okay, you can get the link to go a little bit more in depth. But once again, and then we'll move past, maybe one more time, and then we'll move past the post-tribulation, you know, because I don't want to make this all about a discussion with people who aren't here. Uh, but this is really where you set your timeline, no matter what you believe, okay? But right here... I want you to understand, these folks are being protected because they are what? Jews. And God made promises to the Jews. So if you are someone who believes in post-tribulation, that we're going through it and God will protect us and seal us, if you're not Jewish from one of the 12,000 tribes, you're not being protected. Does everybody see how that backfires on them? 
Where it says they are protected, it's very clear who's protected. They're Jewish people from all 12 tribes. Don't let the Jehovah Witnesses tell you this was their anointed class. That's what they believe. Don't let the black Hebrew Israelites tell you they are the ones that are now being sealed. This is a seal put on them by an angel. It's not a metaphorical seal. It's as real as the seal of the beast. So when I talk to those people who say they're sealed, whether from black Hebrew Israelites, there's also white Hebrew Israelites. They're called the uh, Restored Church of God, Armstrongism. They believe the white man is Israel from Europe. You talk to the black Hebrew Israelites. They're black people from Africa from, that, come, that are true Israel. They're the lost tribes. You talk to Jehovah Witnesses. Everybody wants that's in a cult in some way to claim themselves as the seal. Number one, we are not in this time yet of the other seals, Okay. If I, I, I'll know for sure somebody's getting sealed if I've already seen a fourth of the world die. Does everybody get that? If I've seen stars fall from the sky, I'm looking around to who's gotten sealed right now, okay? We'll settle it then. And then number two, it's a seal that people can see. It may be only translu translucent to glory, but I think it's pretty much you can see it. And now is it a tattoo? Is it a brand? I don't know what it's going to be, but these people are going to be sealed. Why do I think that's so important? Because God will never fail at keeping his word. God made so many promises to Israel that you can't go throughout the Bible and say they've all been fulfilled. They haven't. We needed a book of Revelation to tell us how all Israel will be saved. How is all Israel going to get saved, folks? This is how it's going to happen. Now, every now and then you'll meet a sassy Jewish person because, you'll, you know, you'll be talking to them and you'll say shalom aleichem, which means peace, and you'll, you'll wish them well and hope they move back to the land. But every now and then you'll meet a sassy Jew who will be like, well, the only reason why you want me to move back to the land, uh, the land is so the apocalypse can start. And then we'll say back to them, yes, you are partly right. We do want the apocalypse to start. But how many know we want them to be with us as we go to heaven? So don't be an ornery Jew. Don't go against your Jewish Messiah. Serve the Lord. Young man, go sit in the back with your mom before you get a spanking. Thank you. Pray for church kids. Do you understand? He's lost his treat today. I'll keep my kids in order. Somebody say, help them, Jesus. And go sit with your dad, embarrassing yourselves. When we, think, when we see the things of God, we understand that the Lord is just and fair. He promised the Jews the land. He promised the Jews their prosperity. He promised that they would all be saved. And you know what? He's going to keep every one of his promises. And here's the beginning of the promises to them. Because even up until this point, some Jews might have rejected Jesus. We know they have, right? Because they're going to be siding with the Antichrist, some of them, to bring that peace to Jerusalem. But at this point right here, God says, I'm going to mark you. I'm going to seal you. And I'm going to have you be my end-time witnesses. So it actually fits perfect with the pre-tribulation pre rapture belief because we believe God is keeping his promise to Israel. And some of those things that you've read in Isaiah and in other books start to come to pass right here. In the book of Isaiah, it says multitudes will grab a hold of one Jew and say, take me to the city of your God. See, these Jews will be the end-time witnesses. There may be a few that are non-Jew that are getting saved, but there's going to be a minority, a very, very small minority. This is not the church. This is not the church. The church is in heaven, but they must be saved like the church. They can't go to heaven just because they're Jews. They're going to be born again. 
right? Every Jew has to be born again too. But this is God keeping his promise to them. And so they're born again, they're sealed, and they're going to lead that underground movement. They're going to lead the underground movement of the witnesses until God says it's time for them to go. And then they will be martyred as well because we're going to hear about them in just a moment as well. But you see, this is God's promise to Israel. Judah, 12,000 will be sealed. Reuben, 12,000. Gad, 12,000. Asher, 12,000. Naphtali, 12,000. Manasseh, 12,000. Simeon, 12,000. Levi, 12,000. Issachar, 12,000. Zebulon, 12,000. Joseph, 12,000. Benjamin, 12,000. And which one are we missing, scholars? Dan. No, Judah's right up at the top, baby girl. I love you. You did good today, though. You still get points. You still get points. So everybody ask, where is Dan? If you go back to the original 12 tribe chart, Dan is there. Levi was not supposed to inherit land. So Dan would take Levi's spot. And then Joseph gave his land to his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So technically, it should be Manasseh, Simeon, Dan, Issachar, Zebulon, Ephraim. Okay? So where is Dan and why is Levi there? Nobody knows. Our best guess, our best guess is that Dan got cut off because of its sin. So Dan, the tribe, doesn't get honored in this, in, in this uh, new millennial reign because these will be the tribes that will rule and reign over us, though, though many of them will die. But at the resurrection, they'll come back and they'll rule and reign. And this, this will be our divisions. And then uh, others think that because Levi didn't get land, now Levi gets land and Dan will be there under one of the other tribes because Levi was a, tri- was a tribe but didn't get land. And that's why Joseph had to divide off into Manasseh and Ephraim. And it just gets complicated, okay, from there. And then the Bible says, don't argue over endless genealogies. But how many trust the author of Revelation got the tribe chart right? Okay, those are the ones that are there. And what the Bible then says is that the 12 apostles will then rule over that land, and you and I will be under their jurisdiction. So like how we have 50 states in America, somebody got happy about being in the land of Israel, ruled by the tribes? Okay, whenever we enter the millennial kingdom, you will live in one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Isn't that awesome? When you enter right here, the thousand years, you will enter their tribes. And you will be ruled by the apostles. And then from there, we'll be governors and leaders. How many want to be over Chicago? Anybody take on that job? Amen. Praise the Lord. So there's the 144,000. That's the purpose. Now here is, and I'll be honest with you right here, and I'll prepare you for it so everybody look for it. Great tribulation. There's my mouse right here. When we get to verse 14 of chapter 7 here, we're in chapter 7, right? Yep. When we get to chapter 7, verse 14, you will now see the toughest passage for those of us who are pre-tribulation rapture. So we've been giving it to the post-tribulation folks. How many here are pre-trib, by the way? Just want to know. Okay, about five of us. Post-trib, couple. How many pan-trib, it will pan out? How many don't raise their hands in church when asked? Why are you doing it now? No, caught you. It's teasing. So whatever you are, I'll now be honest to you and tell you this is my hardest passage right here. If I was arguing somebody from the post-trib, I have just given them the headlock or the arm bar they can put me in that's going to hurt the most. It's this passage here. Because we've learned about the six seals. We've seen the interval, the 144,000 sealed. But now look what happens here in verse 9. 
After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every tribe, uh, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So these are not just the martyrs, right? We heard about martyrs before under the throne, but now watch. These are a multitude around the throne. They're standing before the throne. They're not under. Does everybody see the difference? Martyrs are where? Where are they? Under. These people are before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Great multitude. Nobody can number it. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How many saviors are there? Come on, one, but see the Father and Son share the work of the Savior. How many creators are there? One, but Father and Son share the work with the Holy Spirit, right? Now watch, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures. So all the picture of heaven now is complete. Understand what we saw in heaven. We saw the Father on a throne, and we saw the four living creatures, and we knew there were some angels around, right, worshiping. Then we begin to see 24 elders. Then as we go further, we see martyrs underneath the throne. Then now we see all the people of God around the throne where the angels are as well, outside of the circle, the inner circle of the four living creatures and 24 elders. Now notice this. The angels who were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces. Boom. They dropped first before the throne and started worshiping God, saying amen, praise, and glory, and wisdom, and thanks, and honor, and power and strength be to our God forever and ever and amen. So they start to praise and then we're going to join in in just a minute. Now look at verse 13 as we get to the hardest passage here. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? This is what he answered. Uh, this is what uh, the John answered. Sir, you know. And he responded back, these are they who have come out of the what? The great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their what? Will be their shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. One shepherd, but Jesus is a part of the one God. He's a person in the one God who shepherds us. He is the Yahweh who shepherds us. And now the quote from Psalm 23, he leads them to springs of what? Living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Okay, everybody happy about that? Everybody excited? We'll get ready to believe in post-tribulation because there's the multitude now. See, I was looking for the multitude. They came out of the tribulation. That's why there's only 144,000 that God's dealing with with the Jews is because we've all been martyred now. We've all come out and we've all died. There it is. There's the slaughter of the Christians. That is the number one passage that troubles me as a pre-tribulation. Mid-tribulation is just too confusing to get into right now. But this would be their point. They've now answered my question. My question to them is, where are the believers we have all these pictures in heaven. That's why I was taking my time to show you the Father, then the Son. And I've showed you the Holy Spirit with the seven spirits of God. Forgot to mention that. But the seven spirits are on the uh, seven horns on the Lamb with the seven eyes are the seven spirits of God. Father, Son, Spirit around the throne. Now we've seen the martyrs and we see everybody else. There's the church, Joe, post-tribulation. Why don't I agree with that? First of all, it doesn't say that they're martyrs. Because if they're martyrs, where should they be? under the throne, but it says they came out of the great tribulation. 
How do you come out of the great tribulation unless you're a martyr? It's only seven years long. You're not going to die of old age. I mean, does, does the greatest multitude you can possibly number, does that get dealt with? Uh, does that get there just because of old age? That doesn't make sense. So you see their position actually starts to backfire on them. If they say these are martyrs, then why are they not under the throne? It says they are before the throne. There are still the martyrs under the throne. So they have to say, well, maybe they just died of old age. You mean a number that we cannot count died of old age? Just in what? Uh, at this time, three and a half years, and if you're cyclical, seven years? So you're saying seven years, a number I couldn't count has died just of old age? No, that's not possible. So what do I have to do now? I have to rectify the great tribulation. Now, this is where I feel we as Christians have to be honest and say that there are phrases and terms used in the Bible, and they don't always mean the same thing. For example, how many have heard of the day of the Lord? How many know I can point to more than one day that's called the day of the Lord? Because if I asked you to show me where is the day, singular, of the Lord, you would point to the day of judgment upon uh, Israel, the, ten, the northern tribes. You'd have to point when it came to Jerusalem, the, twelve, uh, the two southern tribes. The day of the Lord came when Christ was birthed and he visited his temple. The day of the Lord came when Christ judged his temple. I can point to you prophetically four different days that are called the day of the Lord. So what does day of the Lord probably mean? It's a time or a day when God does something. That's why it's called the day of the Lord. What do I think great tribulation can mean? I think it's a time of tribulation. That's great. It can mean a time like Jesus said in Matthew 24, which is where we get the idea of the latter part of Daniel's 70 week being tribulation, great tribulation rather. So let me just back up and explain this to you. Most people understand these seven years as being the 70th week of Daniel. This is what Daniel prophesied. We will get into it more when the days are actually numbered in the book of Revelation, 1,260, which is half the time period. So that says there's a half a time period that certain things happen, and then that other half, there's certain things that happen. Three and a half years, three and a half years. This comes from Daniel. This is known as Daniel's 70th week. The 69th week is when Jesus came. Now track with me right here. Those of us who hear Matthew chapter 24 and Jesus says there will be great tribulation like the world has never known, we have generally put that term, just like John Hagee, on the last three and a half years, and we call that great tribulation. And that, to me, now confuses us when we come to the text here, and it says they came out of the great tribulation because what do you think that means now? That means it came out of the last three and a half years. So the post-tribulation person is right, if that number has come out of the great tribulation and it only means the last three and a half years, then of course we had to be there for that. I get that. But I don't believe that has to refer to great tribulation. As a matter of fact, nowhere in the book of Revelation does it say any of this is called great or lesser. So I think we who are pre-tribulation should stop labeling <clears throat> the tribulation as tribulation for the first three and a half years and then the last three and a half years as great tribulation because it confuses people. Hmm, everybody go, hmm. Say, I'm not sure about that yet. You're stretching it pretty hard, Pastor. Okay, well then let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If the great tribulation is, according to Jesus, this entire time period, and we as the church are going through it, and this multitude is the ones who died, then why aren't they under the martyr's throne? 
Now, somebody might say, they might say, well, at one point we see the image of the martyrs underneath the throne, and then now we just see everybody else chilling. See, now who's stretching? See? So both of us are going to have to stretch. I'm going to stretch great tribulation to simply mean the church age. Did Stephen go through great tribulation? I believe he did. I don't believe it's the great tribulation that Matthew 24 talks about that has never come upon the earth. But I believe there's multiple days of the Lord, and I believe there's ultimately different descriptions of the great tribulation. So I believe, do you believe the church of China has gone through great tribulation? I do. But do I believe it's the great tribulation of Matthew 24? Do I believe we'll go through the day of the Lord as he comes back? Yes. But do I believe that day of the Lord is the same day of, well, I mean, uh, will the earth go through another day of the Lord? Yes, I believe that. But is it the same day of the Lord that the Israelites went through and Babylon took them over? No. So in that way, I believe this is showing you the church that is there from the pre-tribulation. Now, I have friends that are pre-tribulation that will give this to the post-tribulation guys and go, well, that, those are the tribulation saints. But I believe they're being inaccurate because if you're going to go that far, you might as well take it all the way to the position of post-tribulation. So I believe that this is the tribulation that's been upon the church age. In other words, I believe that when we look back at the last 2,000 years, it will be a time, of, you know, we'll see it as a time of great troubling that was upon the earth. But it's not the same, and I'll just show it to you. Go to Matthew chapter 24, please. As the greatest tribulation that has never been upon the earth. So both of us got to stretch things. That's why I'm going to be honest with you. You can choose whatever position you want. Some pre-tribulation people who are shouting to see all those saints around the throne. Stop shouting when I said they think that's you because you die. Got all quiet then, right? Because we got to wonder, how does the church get there? Well, now, here's where I think it's a different time than this. When you look at Jesus describing all of this, uh, the end times, he talks about the signs and the things that we should expect. There's going to be, uh, you know, false Christ and all of these things. But now look at this right here. He says, but pray ye that your flight may, um, excuse me, may not be in winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor shall there ever be. Now notice, the description of great tribulation could apply to any time, he knows that, so then he clarifies it by then saying, this great tribulation is a kind such as, do you get, do you get the qualifier here, such as never seen since the beginning of the world, nor will there be one after it. So I go here, and you know, like I said on this one, I make both sides mad. Uh, I don't know what John Hagee believes, but I know March, Mark Hitchhock and other great pre-tribulation guys want to give that to the post guys, and I don't want to, and I, and I think they're being inconsistent because if they do, they should go all the way and be post. I think they should. But I take that great multitude as having come out here in the rapture, and when it says they came out of great tribulation, it's looking at the 2,000 years here of human history. That's what it's looking at. But then Jesus says, there's a time that's coming after that. And what is he describing in Matthew 24? The destruction of the temple, which we believe happens in the middle of the three and a half years. Post and pre both agree with that. That happens in the middle. And then he says, after that is a tribulation, a great tribulation that has never been upon the earth before or after. And that goes into why I take it as linear, because these bowls make all of this look like it was a walk in the park when these things start dropping. That's what I believe. How many believe that? How many are still deciding? 
How many of you are happy to learn something in church? Okay. Now, I promise you, well, I'll do my best, I should say. I can't promise. I don't want to lie in church. But I can almost do my best to say from this point on, I don't think we'll get into timeline issues. Because from this point, I'll just simply show you why I believe we're pre, where we're going, and I won't keep dealing with it from the post-tribulation. But just because my favorite scholars have put out books and they're trying to convert you pre to post, you know what I'm saying? And they're trying to get at you guys for more book sales. No, half kid. But um, and no, I don't think they're doing it for the money. But as, as they're doing that, i got to be a faithful pastor. Whereas i got some, some saints that have been around for a while, this was never an issue. Those of us who were Pentecostal, we were pre-trib, even Baptist. Everybody was pretty much pre-trib, but now there's been a great uh, movement towards post. There are some mid, but once again, it's not worth really spending our time with. Okay, so who are they? You know, sir, they have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes. They have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne. Where are they? Are they under it? No, they're before it. They're before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them. That's the church. Amen. And then look what it says. It says he will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them. No more scorching heat. That's where we're going to be. Come on, somebody say amen. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Vinny, would you come please in closing? Because it's going to get good if it hasn't been good for you already. Here's, the, here's what's my favorite part about today's message. Now he opens the seventh seal. He gets back to it. That was, that was the interval. He opens the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven for about an hour and a half because it's going to get even worse. And I saw the seven angels who stood before God with seven trumpets, and they were given to them. So the seventh seal arms the seven angels now with the trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. Do we pray to the saints or do the angels have the prayers of the saints? See, you don't pray to the saints. And we have some friends that we used to listen to that used to be apologists that now tell us to pray to saints. And they'll use scriptures like that. But it's something how they get so far off. It doesn't say they were praying to the saints. It says that the saints have the prayers of the saints. God's people in heaven have our prayers because God is going to do something with them. Watch it. He, our folks up in heaven are taking our prayers, not directed towards us, but directed towards God, and they're offering to God as incense on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. So here we see it's in the angel's hand. Now watch. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and began to hurl it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumbling, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Let me just tell you this right here. There is never an unanswered prayer that you have prayed according to the will of God. If it has not been answered in this world, it's going to be answered with balls of fire coming down to earth. Have you ever prayed for justice and said, God, why do you allow this president to do this, this governor to do this, this slave owner to do this? Have you ever heard of people crying out for justice and they lived and died and nothing ever happened on the earth? The Bible says on that day, that incense, those prayers get answered as the angels throws down the fire of God's judgment. There is never an unanswered prayer that has been prayed according to the will of God. Every prayer that you have prayed will either be answered in this life or in the life to come. 
And if you haven't met people that are angry at God yet, you haven't preached enough because when you start preaching to people out there, they're going to tell you about how they're angry with God because of the problem of evil. And if there was a good God, why would this happen and why would that happen? You need to let them know Jesus came to solve the problem of of evil. He took evil on the cross and then he's going to rid it from the earth with the prayer of the saints. Our prayers become balls of fire in the hands of angels on judgment day. Those are our prayers coming back down to earth. And then the other prayers that we pray for healing. My dear aunt died of bone cancer. They say it's one of the most painful. She's there dying. She's in pain. And I kept hearing her say back to me, Joey, I'm healed. I'm healed. She said, I'm healed. And I truly believe that God could have raised her up from there. But how many know even those that Jesus healed still had to die? Even those he raised from the dead like Lazarus still had to die because he said it's once appointed unto all men to die, then face judgment. And so this probably was my, my, my aunt's time to die. But how do I love to tell the story? Because God never lets a prayer go unanswered. She kept saying on this earth, I'm healed. I'm healed as her body was deteriorating. I'm healed. And then sadly, she passed away. But gladly, as she opened her eyes in heaven, she said it one more time. I'm healed. And Jesus said, yes, you are. And you'll never be sick again. You'll never be sick again because I am the healer. And I believe it's the same thing here. We're saying, God, justice, 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 justice. And we're wondering, where is it going? Where are our prayers just hot air hitting the ceiling and coming back? And God is saying, hold on to this angel. Hold on to this angel. Hold on to every wrong. Hold on to what they've done to my people. Hold on to what's been done to every child. And get ready to throw it down. Get ready to throw it down. Somebody say, it's coming, but not yet. In closing, there's a story in the Bible where the disciples were preaching and the people weren't listening. And they went back to Jesus and they said, should we call down fire? I wonder where they got that from. See, it's a biblical concept, isn't it? And Elijah called down fire as well. And it says here, they looked up at the Lord and they said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? And this is in the King James. And Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then they went to another village. I want everybody to hear me today. Before the book of Revelation happens, we need to understand the book of Matthew and the book of Luke and Mark and John. We need to understand the gospel. The gospel that says God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if your neighborhood doesn't want it, go on to the next neighborhood. And if that block doesn't want it, go on to the next block. Keep preaching and reaching and preaching and reaching because Jesus came not to destroy us but to save us that's the heart of God for this generation and that's why I believe in the church age this is the age of God's grace and mercy because there will come a time when it's judgment So if you're here today, as we get ready to close out as band and altar workers come, would you get right with the God who sent his son to die for you so that you might be saved? 
as they're coming, would you all stand up with me, please? Would you give Jesus another hand clap of praise? Come on, somebody say thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. Gracias, Señor. Would you just pray with me now and thank him for his grace and mercy? If you don't know Jesus, or maybe you just accepted him today, at some point you can come forward and we'll pray with you. But right now I want everyone to start praying for areas you want Jesus to save in this city and nation. Because he doesn't want to destroy Pritzker. He doesn't want to destroy Biden. He doesn't want to destroy the workers of Planned Parenthood. He wants to save them. He wants to save every racist, every drug dealer, every corrupt politician, every false religious believer. Would you pray for God to do what only he can do right now? The prayers of the saints going up to heaven as incense. And if they don't believe, if they don't choose Jesus, they will, do, they, they will rightly they will rightly deserve the wrath of God. But can you put up some prayers right now for salvation? Aren't you glad God waited to come back so you could be saved? Right now, a few moments, if those need to be saved, feel free to come forward. We'll dismiss. And if you have prayer needs for anything, we'll love to pray for you. But right now, we're praying either for those to get saved or for those here who are saved to just lift up your friends and family, your neighborhood, before these prayers get thrown down as fire upon the earth, we believe God is using them to save, to transform, to heal. Oh, God, do what only you can do. Save our leaders. Save our teachers. Oh, God, save those today in the jail cell. Save those today in the mosque. Awaken a Jewish revival, oh, God so they can be caught in the rapture with us, oh Lord. few moments, I don't want to see anybody left behind. This is your chance to escape the wrath of God, which is coming upon the earth. Come to Christ. Come to the ark. And then lay your life down for him, no matter what tribulation you face. Because no matter what, we're going through tribulation in this world, whether you're pre or post, right? We all believe we're going to be in some kind of tribulation. I just believe God wants to spare us from his wrath. A few moments. Who desires Jesus to save their soul? And who's praying for somebody's soul to be saved? And then we'll dismiss. A few more moments. I don't ever want to be the same again. I don't want my neighbors to ever be the same again. Jesus, have mercy on this land. Have mercy on these people. Have mercy on us. You didn't come to destroy, but you came to save. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Can you bless him today? Do you believe in him? Do you